0: Hello and welcome to The Business Behind Small Business. The show that reminds you that just because you own a business doesn't mean you are a business owner. In each episode, we will discuss common issues small businesses face and offer tips and advice from the perspectives of two business owners, one that is built to sell and one that is built to inherit. We are your hosts, Savannah Stone and Tiffany Kao. There's a lot of business behind small business So let's get to it. If you've not had the misfortune of being ghosted before, it means when someone cuts off all communication with you without a reason or explanation for it. All of a sudden, they disappear and you're left wondering what happened. This can really stink when in a budding relationship. However, it can be quite costly when in business. What does it mean when a client ghosts you, especially when they owe you money, and how do you prevent it from happening? Before we begin, please note our disclaimer. This is available in both our show notes and on our website and should be referred to before and or after this podcast. So let us know how do or why do clients ghost you?
1: Well, I'll start by saying that regardless of a client owes you money, if they ghost you, it's probably not a good sign. Unless you're in a business where no news is good news, maybe that is the case. But typically, if you are in some kind of service-based business and you require some engagement from your client to be able to provide the service that you're doing, and you also want to make sure that you're ensuring a long-term relationship, ghosting should throw a yellow flag or red flag for you so that you know that something has gone wrong with the relationship. hmm there's quite a few reasons that people ghost. I would like to say I came up with this list, but I I didn't come up with this list. <laughs> I took it off. I took it off a blog by Lincoln Murphy, who is a kind of a customer success expert. And so he had five reasons why uh, clients ghost, and I agree with all five reasons. So here goes. So the first reason is that they are disappointed in you. So somehow you drop the ball, and they're really disappointed, and they're just not getting back to you anymore. The other reason is that they're ashamed themselves. So maybe they dropped the ball and they just feel incredibly embarrassed and they are now avoiding your phone calls. The third reason could be the fact that they are overwhelmed. So you basically gave them way too many balls to juggle and they're just, it's, it's too much. Like you're overdoing it. Fourth reason is they're underwhelmed, meaning that whatever they bought, the balls that they bought was not what they thought they bought. And they're just kind of underwhelmed with what, what you're providing. So mm-hmm. that could also be termed under, I think, buyer's remorse a bit. And the fifth reason is they're simply very, very busy. And so they themselves have way too many other balls that they're juggling around and they just don't have time, which I find to be mostly the reason why clients do not get back to you is that they just kind of have this whole other life because, hey, they're business owners, whatever the case may be. They're just busy. And sometimes they're not very good at juggling all that and they, something falls out and that happens to be you. So, all of it is to say that it usually goes back to some form of lack of communication, miscommunication, undercommunication, or overcommunication. So we're going to use uh, Savannah's favorite word is interpersonal communication <laughs> <laughs> to use that as an example here as well, uh, meaning that if you have a really strong line of communication with your client, typically ghosting is not going to happen as much. Now, I also would like to say that usually when you start a new client relationship, there seems to be kind of like a honeymoon period in the front. They bought what you're selling and they're super excited and they're onboarding. And so you have a very short period of time in the beginning to make a really good impression and kind of establish a solid relationship so that they don't actually ghost you in the future. Now, I know that one of our topics or one part of our topic is to talk about clients who owe you money that has ghosted to you. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other problem because they're probably just ghosting you because they don't want to pay either. And my personal opinion is that that's terrible. Nobody should ever do that. I can't tell you a time where I've ever ghosted my own vendors because it's just, this is bad business ethics. Like It's bad business practice. But it does happen and it happens quite often. So if it's happening to you right now as our listeners, don't feel bad. You're probably in the same boat as a lot of us where clients simply just kind of drop you and don't want to talk to you because they know that they owe you something that they don't quite want to give up.
0: But there are ways to avoid that. Well, I'd love to say you should send all clients that ghost you to collections and wipe your hands clean of it. But you know, I can say from experience, it's not always the best prevention. (laughs) Well, but it all starts from the beginning of the relationship, really. Like, you know, there's communication, but there's the start of the communication. And generally speaking, when we get into a relationship with anybody, we set the parameters of what the conversation or rather the communication is going to be like. So um, what what I'm going to talk about is what starts before the relationship. It all really starts with your vetting process. And then it goes to your company's engagement letter or contract or, you know, whatever it is that you want to call it. So let's talk. Let's talk about the vetting process. This can get tricky because when we first start a business or when our company is experiencing a lull, we can get a little desperate for clients and we'll turn a blind eye to some of the finer points that could become potential red flags. Adding clients to your roster is much like dating. You can generally tell whether or not a client will be a good quality client or if they're going to cause potential headaches and also have the potential of disappearing on you. I know it hurts to say no sometimes to a client, especially when you are experiencing financial difficulties or maybe things are just not moving as quickly as you would like. But not all clients are good clients. So if anyone that approaches you seems like they might not be a good fit, but you'd really like the money, trust your gut and decline services. You'll thank me later. Now let's say there is a client that you feel might be a great fit, but you still want to make sure to protect yourself. If you don't have an ironclad contract yet, make sure you do. This is money very well spent to ensure you get paid and are protected by the laws of your state. You may even have to ask for payment information and a deposit. Asking for both from the right kind of client won't be an issue, but believe me when I say the one that protests are the ones that don't pay. Be sure your contract is clear and outlines in great detail how you accept payment, what the timeline is for accepting payment, and the amount of time a client has to dispute said payment. I will tell you that was a very hard lesson learned for me. Speaking of payments, I know there are some businesses that will require payment after a job is done or once a month. Sometimes the problem isn't that the client ghosted you or is withholding payment. Sometimes it's just that they forgot because there's too much time in between when payments are expected. Consider creating a schedule that is easy to maintain and easy to remember so say every two weeks or something like that, so that a client can get used to your schedule and make mental notes that they will likely stick to. This will also help you better gauge your cash flow. Also, considering consider adding a late fee to your invoices. Generally speaking, when a client sees a late fee on an invoice, this is a great motivator and it will motivate them to make a payment to not allow another invoice to go overdue. Another point about payments is that you really don't want to let a client accrue such an open balance that it becomes too much for them to pay down. If you find a client hasn't paid more than say two or three invoices, it's time to press upon them to start making payments depending on the amount of each invoice. I go back to my first recommendation which is to set them up on ACH But I understand that not every company can auto-draft transactions, so do yourself a favor and make sure a client starts paying on an invoice or on invoices as soon as possible. To reiterate, make sure that you outline all of the details of how to pay, when to pay, uh, and how to dispute pay as clearly as possible in your contract. And when I say dispute pay, this means if a client has an issue with an invoice, you need to put a timeline on that so that they can't come back to you a month later and dispute a charge. Make sure you give clients no more than seven days, and after that, the charge is what is due and expected. You'd be surprised how many times that has uh, come, come to try to bite me in the butt, but did not because of my ironclad contract. Vetting your client's. And having a solid contract won't stop everyone from ghosting you, but it will certainly lessen the amount of times it happens. And if you do still get ghosted, it's time you choose a company that will collect due money on your behalf and let the chips fall where they may. So, so what was it that you did? How did you deal with potential ghosting or ghosting clients?
1: So I think the straw that kind of broke my camel's back uh, was when, again, for our listeners who don't know that we were both in the kind of accounting world, mm-hmm. when a, a CPA actually goes to me on my payments. And then I was like, okay, this is it. I'm not, I'm not dealing with wow. this anymore. Right? Like, if you can be if you can be like a licensed professional who says you're a professional and you have clients too, and you understand how this works, then you're ghosting me and I'm spending all this time following up. I was like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this anymore. This is mm-hmm. just, this is just a waste of time. And mm-hmm. I think it also showed me that it doesn't matter who you are. This happens. Yes. And for me, after that, I basically set all my clients up on, um, auto draft. So either auto draft by a direct ACH or by credit cards. Now, with credit cards of course you have to pay a little bit of a fee because you do have those credit card fees for yeah. processing it. Um I chose not to pass that through to my client because I feel like that 3% was probably less than I would pay if I were to send the payment to collections. So overall yeah. I was still kind of making out better than it would if I was if I was hiring a debt collector instead of that. But yeah, like I think um I think that's a thing is uh, you know, I, I, I always thought that, you know, you do business and everybody is 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 good peoples and they do business on the same ethics and principles you do. But it's not always the case. And like we said earlier, there's a lot of reasons why somebody would ghost you. But I would say that pretty rarely like I do have some clients who are like were great that we we had a great relationship with. And then every once in a blue moon, they may ghost and forget a payment. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty rare. hmm. Right, Savannah, like you would say that like if a client kind of respects you, I don't feel like they'll kind of drop off the face of the earth, especially if they owe you money.
0: Well, okay, so I always found, I found your ACH um, policy to be a little controversial. And I thought it was bold. um, And I was too afraid to lose clients to do that. So I do have an ACH policy. But I allow clients to pay me on their own. If they don't pay me by a certain period of time, then I ACH them. Uh, If they choose to pay with credit card, I do pass the charge on to them because I don't have enough clients who use credit card for, you know, I just don't, I don't, I probably get credit card charging twice a year, if that. But I have a hard time letting go of clients that I've had for a very long time, even though they don't pay me on time. And I know that's wrong. And it's so rich for me to be to be podcasting about how you should do these things. And then I don't follow (laughs) what I practice what I preach. But it can be really difficult when you have a client like I have clients that I've had for years and years and years. And I know that they're good for it. They're just forgetful um I don't feel comfortable dropping them because they don't pay me until they owe me like 10 invoices I know I should I just can't bring myself to do it I know that you wouldn't have a problem (laughs) you're like pay me now and you're done
1: no, I, I I
0: would not.
1: Well, okay, so to be clear though, I didn't I didn't start the company with all our clients on this auto ACH policy. It was yeah, a few true, years in before we switched over. Mm-hmm. Right. So I do I do definitely know the transition can be tough. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that I didn't lose any clients over it. Um it was a hard convers it was it was a tough conversation, but to be quite honest, I mean it, it also depends on how you're set up to bill, right? So in my case, I was the payment was due after the work was done. Yeah. So it's not like I had them pay before we started the work. It was, um, let's just say it was like the first of the month for all the work done the month prior. So that kind of helped ease a lot of people's anxiety about it. Because again, it's not like you're paying for something you didn't know what you, you were getting. You already got the service. We're simply collecting after the fact mm-hmm. for new clients coming in. That became simply my policy. So that was a little easier because once you kind of set the expectation up front, nobody really batted an eye to be quite honest. Oh. And just so, so our listeners know, you know, I am talking about collecting on a monthly basis anywhere from three to eight thousand dollars a month. So it's mm-hmm. not like we're talking about tiny, tiny amounts here, a few hundred dollars.
0: Mm-hmm. But again,
1: I think it's it's um It's really just a matter of principle and being clear and transparent about what your policy is and setting an expectation up front. Now, I also did collect retainers from clients Mm -hmm. and that went toward their first invoice. So it was really helpful because when they collect the retainer, technically you get like two months worth of services before the next payment comes. Mm -hmm. So two months is kind of the burden on us as a service providers to really solidify that relationship to make them feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So that by the time the auto ACH came around on the second month, you know, the client didn't even didn't even didn't even, like I said, blink an eye about it. I did have a couple prospects. And honestly, I can only count one or two where, you know, the negotiations for the contract was going well. And when they saw the requirement in the contract for auto ACH, they were like, Oh, no, 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 no. Like we can't do this. And then, you know, we we went our separate ways because my, my, my viewpoint was, wait, so you're telling me that you, you won't pay me for the work we already did. Yeah. Like, I don't understand the principle and logic behind that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I will tell you that a couple uh, one of our clients, one of our clients, well, one of our prospects who came our clients did kind of push back on it, but it's kind of interesting because for the people who push back on it, actually two or three clients actually pushed back on it. Their alternative was even better. Um, their alternative was, you know, we don't want to go on auto HCH because we've had bad experience with companies who do that and they don't shut it off, which is mm-hmm. completely understandable. That mm-hmm. is that is a problem with some companies. They're not they're not shutting off the auto ACH. They actually just they they uh, offer to basically pay us ahead of time. So oh, they're like, okay, well, instead of paying you for the prime month, how about we just pay you ahead of time by check and you get about a 15th of the month? So we're we're both winning. Like it's halfway through mm-hmm. the month, you've done half the service, mm-hmm. and you're getting paid 15 days before what your normal um, schedule is. And that was perfectly fine.
0: I think I I think what uh, I deduced was, and so both of us are in the business to um, business, yes, industry. Yeah, so we're not and, business to
1: consumer. So we should no. make that
0: clear. However, yeah. uh, I feel like business to consumer or business to business, regardless of who it is that you're working with and what the dollar signs look like, a person who is serious about their motivation, whatever it is that they're, they're purchasing from you, whether it's a product or a service, if they're serious about it, then they will, then they're serious about paying you as well. They've already taken to account that this is going to cost them money. A person who is not as serious or might be more wishy-washy about things is going to be less likely to pay you. So when I say that, I feel like, I feel like, um, so the business, and 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 again, these are all lessons learned, right? Over the years, I learned lessons about quality over quantity. Uh, didn't matter if I took on more clients, if none of them were going to pay me, I was still at zero. So uh, I, I accepted clients that were more quality and were more serious about their business. That helps. Like, yeah. Yes. Who were more serious about the growth of their business, the finances of their business, and you know. X, Y, and Z. But that's because I'm business to business. Now, if I had been business to consumer, I feel like it would have been the same scenario. Are you serious about purchasing this? Are you serious about, and, and, and when I say that, like if you're selling cars, you're selling jewelry, you're selling, you know, whatever it is, a, a, whatever product it is. If a person's just kind of quote unquote kicking the tires, they're going to be less likely to pay you the amount that you are charging and we'll also argue the amount that you're charging. I find that that tends to happen a lot to people who create their own uh product. So say artists or artisans of of any kind, whatever it is that they're making. Uh you know, you see a $30 candle at anthropology not a problem, you'll pay for it, but you see a $30 candle at the farmers market and you're like, "Did they really should you really be charging me $30 for this soy candle? I'll pay you 15." You know. So When you come across a person like that, then you're like, well, then you don't take my art seriously. You don't take my product seriously or, you know, whatever it is that you're selling or my service seriously. And I don't need you. So these are points that you should. Take into consideration, and you know, right? I, I should be practicing what I preach more. But like I said, there have been, <laughs> there, have been there there are some. It
1: is hard. Though, it is really right? really
0: hard. It is that
1: revenue looks so good on your books, but then you're like, well, if I'm not collecting, this is certainly not going to help me pay my bills. Absolutely. You know? So,
0: and I would also like to point out the whole uh, making it clear that you only have a certain time frame to. Uh, dispute because twice I got caught by not having that in my contract. And that actually ended up costing me a lot because I didn't put in there that you could, you only had like seven days after a receipt of the invoice to dispute whatever it is that we did because I always build after the work was done. So Mm -hmm. there were two individual times when a person came to me months later after details had been forgotten on my end um, to dispute and then got out of paying a bill because I just wasn't willing to fight them anymore. Um, and that cost me a lot of money. Yeah. So I put in my contract, you have seven days to dispute the invoice. And if you do not say anything, then, you know, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, we actually had something pretty similar too, because when you set up, when you do these auto ACH, and of course you go through a service, so it's not like I was doing it manually, Right, but right. you go through an, a service and the service actually uh, shoots out an email um, and you can set how many days before. So like I set mine like seven days before the auto ACH drafts and yeah. it'll shoot out an email, basically alerting the other person that, Hey, you know, we're going to do an auto ACH at this date. You know, if you have any issues with the service, whatever the case may be, please let us know before the ACH actually drafts. So that becomes kind of their window to kind of dispute anything. Mm -hmm. But you bring up a very good point, I think for our listeners, if you don't already have that in your contract, certainly put that in because maybe it's not happening to you today, but I guarantee you if you get enough customers, it's going to happen to you at some point where gonna come back, circle back around six months later Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason, you know, uh, whether it's legitimate or not, it doesn't matter. But they will circle back around six months later to say that, hey, you know, I didn't like what happened six months ago. Yes. And I'm just getting around to, you know, arguing about it now. Um, so that's, that's definitely an important um, contract language to put into your kind of service uh-huh. terms and agreements and whatnot.
0: And it helps with your processes and procedures as well, because if you've grown to a point in which you have a customer service line where people would call in for your customer service and say, "I dispute whatever amount it is that you charged me for whatever service it is that you provided," then that customer service person would also know that. Well, you know that was two months ago, so you know you act, you owe <laughs> you owe now. You you don't have, you can't dispute this now.
1: Well, to your point earlier is I think for our our listeners is you know, even if you don't go the route of auto ACH, like I did, right. And to be clear, too, about that, like we did have every once in a while, I would have clients call and just ask us to push back to ACH for like a week or two, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because maybe there's a cash flow problem or something like that. They just need to get over. And that's completely fine. We were completely human about it. And of course, we accommodated. So it's not like it's not like we were just kind of like hard and fast, like you don't pay us and we're cutting you off. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's exceptions to be made. All right, going back to the point you were talking about earlier, Savannah, about kind of setting your foot down. So, yeah. like I was saying, like if you if you if you don't feel comfortable going kind of the hard and fast way I did, which was kind of auto ACH or auto pay everybody, then just make sure that on the back end you are comfortable putting your foot down if somebody doesn't pay you.
0: So yeah.
1: in the beginning, before I implemented the auto ACH, one of the methods I tried, which worked. Um, although I still felt like it was more effort than necessary, is that, you know, if a client doesn't pay for maybe one invoice or fifteen days or whatever your your cutoff is, mm-hmm. then you you either stop services, I mean, after a conversation, but you call them and you try to follow up and you don't let it pile up to be like yeah. you know, three or four months in, right? It's just that if you're not comfortable doing an auto pay, then you just need to make sure you put your foot down because otherwise, like you're not you're not in a business of giving away free service. You're not a loan service either.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. And
1: so, you know, when things start piling up three to four months, that's a a long time for somebody not to pay you. Yes. So put your foot down about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's actually what I end up always doing. And I, I like, all right, it's time to pay up son. And you know, it's really funny. I got to, I got to tell you this. So uh, one time I sent a lot of times, actually, when I send a, Hey, uh, you're like two or three behind, it's time to pay. I always make sure that I put the Uh, service provider in the email as well so that they're aware. Uh, Especially if they're doing accounting or bookkeeping, then it's important for them to know according to, you know, what they're keeping track of the the payables. (laughs) So one time I sent an email to a client and um, my service provider... (laughs) Uh, my service provider re- uh, responded to the email to him only, but because of the system that I have, like I can see the emails too. How dare you not pay her? She does all this. She, like, like she reprimanded him like a mama. She was like, "You!" Oh my gosh. and you know, I got paid. I got paid the next day. <laughs> I
1: mean, I know that like clients don't mean to do that. Yeah. But like, Look, I I mean, mean, we're we're in business to be in business, right? Like we're all business owners. We're all busy. So, like the way I see it is that if I, you know, if I find in my willpower to provide the service I say, and also pay my vendors on time, then it's a simple a matter of like your own time management and organization, right? Like I don't know if there's really that much of an excuse, unless you're really unhappy with the service. That's definitely a legitimate like reason to not pay.
0: Well, and if you're not happy with the service, then you need to speak up because right. you're not speaking up is unfair. And I feel like it's the same in a relationship. If you are not happy with something, then you're making a choice. If you stay silent, then you are making a choice to put up with it. If you're saying something, then you're making a choice to change it. And this this is all across the board, friendships, uh, romantic relationships, and business relationships. If you don't say anything, then you have to accept that this is what you're going to pay for whether it be with money or with time. So, you know, if you're not happy, then speak up or sh- shut up. I don't know. So <laughs> or well, get, out. <laughs> or get out, get out, get um, out anyway. Um, <clears throat> in each episode, we like to connect a famous example to our discussion to help you relate our talking points on a more global or well-recognized scale. Sometimes we use exact examples of either famous persons or successful business owners of today or in history, and sometimes we use examples of people who inspire us and have inspired today's discussion. I think today we've agreed that my example is the best example.
1: It's the the best example. Yes, that's right. You get the blue ribbon for this one.
0: (laughs) So instead of choosing a famous example, I thought I'd share a company that fits perfectly with today's discussion. I'm quoting this from Investopedia's article on the five best debt collection agencies, and we'll have the link in our show notes. Atradius Collections have been in operation since 1925 and is a leading commercial debt collection agency. They're based in the Netherlands, and the company is a member of several different debt collection trade associations throughout the world including the International Association of Commercial Collectors, the Credit Services Association, and the Federation of European Credit Management Associations. Atradius Collections supports more than 15,000 customers and handles more than 90,000 cases of commercial debt per year. Atradius Collections provides commercial debt support worldwide, and it works in more than 30 different countries. Unlike many companies, Atreides Collections does not have a required minimum on debt. So I chose this company because of that, because I don't know if you've ever done, listeners or or yourself, Tiffany, have ever done uh, research on debt collection agencies. Most of them have a minimum requirement. So uh, that kind of cuts out those companies that maybe have a small debt to to, uh, collect and don't have a way in which to do that. Uh, the Atreides Collections fees are dependent on your invoice amount and the cli- the location of the client. The commission fees are not readily available on the Atreides Collections site. Uh, but you know, for me, I feel like it's totally worth it. For an invoice that is 180 days overdue or more, Atreides Collections will charge you an additional 2% commission on top of its standard rate. If you have international clients that have not paid their invoices, you'll pay an introduction fee and a higher commission than if they were based in the U.S. The company offers comprehensive services, including amicable debt collections, legal collections worldwide, insolvency services against bankrupt debtors, and standby services. Atreides Collections operates the Collect at Net online platform so you can monitor the collection progress. Atreides stands apart from the competition because of its strong reputation, international expertise, and transparent fees. It's also the only agency that allows you to get an instant detailed quote online without having to first speak to a representative, which to me is golden. No, that's great.
1: I would certainly say definitely have a debt collector in your back pocket. For sure. It makes all
0: the difference. For sure. Because there have been times when you have tried. I mean, certainly in my opinion, I think the process ought to be reaching out to them, reminding them that they have an invoice, reaching out to them again. I kind of have a three-time, three-touch. If I've contacted you three times and you've said nothing, now is when I say, hey, this is going to collections. If I don't hear from you within the next X amount of days, this is going to collections. If I still don't hear from them, then it's out of my hands. I don't know what to tell you.
1: Now, is your three times always by email or do you do like email, phone, combination? Always email.
0: Always email so that way I have a uh, written, um, you know, record. Um,
1: I would do both.
0: You would do calling as well?
1: I would do both, actually. And Also, I would call and email at the same time just so that you have a record, again, of that you like... Uh, called or emailed, uh, whichever one you do first, right? So if you call, I'll just say enough voicemail because if they're ghosting you, they're not going to pick up, right? So. No, no, definitely, yeah. <laughs> you're definitely leaving a voicemail, so you just leave mm-hmm. a voicemail and say, "Hey, I'm going to follow up also by email." In the email, you reference the call, and that way, like you don't ever come back and somebody's like, "Oh, it went
0: to my spam box." Yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah, okay, no, yeah. Oh. Well, I guess I guess it depends on how that client generally communicates with you, right? Like if they they tend to communicate via phone and you're emailing them, they likely won't be seeing the email. Because I do have a couple of clients that rarely ever look at their emails and I will have to be like, hey, heads up, I'm sending you an email. Um, I agree with
1: you, but I think you make a good point is that you need to have this in writing. Yeah, for sure. So I'm just saying that if you're if you're really trying to collect and you're trying to be effective, then I would say do both like you at a minimum have to email But I would also call them just as an alternative to try to get their attention, and -hmm. so that if you send them to collections, you're you know you you know that you've actually done your best to try to get a hold of them to let them know that hey this this action is coming like you know call me back if you want me to not send you to collections
0: yeah yeah true or just send them send them you (laughs) know what off you go you're fired. (laughs) Or you're off the <laughs> well, island. You don't know,
1: have to say the CPA that goes to me on my payment, which is again, it's way back when, right? So this is before the auto ECH thing. Um, All of a sudden called me back out of nowhere, however many months later, because I I sent it to a debt collect, a local debt collect. So there was a local company I use, yeah. um, a really small shop that I use. And I sent them to, the, to them. And so of course they started doing whatever it is that they do. They're so good at. And then I get the call and be like, Well, you know, like, why, why didn't you like, you know, oh, you know, let's talk about this. And I'm like, yep, too late. Sorry. Mm I already did that. Like, I can't legally like talk to you at this point. I already have somebody who's working on your case. So, you know, it is what it is. So figure it out.
0: Mm Hmm, It's too late. Slightly
1: satisfying. I have to say slightly satisfying. (laughs) It's too late. I know that sounds so evil, but you know, I, I'm just saying that, like, I just can't, like, I, I just, I don't have the time for people who don't, who don't run like, you know, run like doesn't have the respect to actually no, I pay, pay for services yeah. rendered on time.
0: For sure. Faux show. Sure. So, with each episode, we like to share either books, tools, apps, platforms, or anything we think is a great next step and connector to our discussion. So, if you like our subject matter and want to learn more, you'll have a great place to start. I believe my recommendation is also the solid. Contender, here. Yes.
1: No. Like, no. You not to. I guess. Book? Okay. I mean, right. I mean, I don't have a. I don't have a book. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I have, have a book. book talk about this uh no i mean but i can i can summarize i guess summarize kind of like what we had discussed i mean like i said if, if you can't go through the auto ach way then go go you know put your foot down about your terms and policies and don't let somebody walk all over you about that right if you run a solid business meaning that you provide like you make a good product or you provide Mm -hmm. a good service then stand by it and you know know that you are entitled to your payment especially once the service is rendered
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um i mean i guess the quote that i learned pretty early on which made me put my own foot down is that like everybody thinks it's a privilege to work with customers and it is right Mm -hmm. if a customer works with you and they're paying you for your service then absolutely it is a privilege Mm -hmm. to be able to have a business and be able to have paying customers. But at the same time, I think it also goes the other way where it is a privilege for a customer to work with you. Mm-hmm. It's not a one way street. It has to be respect that goes both ways. And so just kind of keep that in mind. If you find yourself just a little bit um, hesitant or timid about, about these kind of collections issues, because you absolutely owe it to yourself to be able to collect on the money for the services rendered in the product mm-hmm. that you provided because you are in business.
0: So, who did you use for your ACH? what What platform did you use? Maybe that maybe that can help as a recommendation.
1: You know, that's a good question. Um, Do you remember? Yeah, the only thing is the only reason why I didn't say anything was only because the uh, service was bought, um, um, like I, whatever platform it was, was actually bought and integrated into ADP.
0: Oh, I see. I see.
1: So it just became kind of like an ADP service instead. Mm-hmm. But if I, if I, if I remember correctly, there are other services like, um, I think Stripe out there also does something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe QuickBooks has an auto pay mechanism yeah. to it as well. Yeah. But, um, nice. I think that requires a little bit more of a setup. So it, yeah, it there is like, a variety of services, but the one I use kind of got bought by ADP.
0: Yeah. So I use QuickBooks's, uh, auto, ACH, I really like it. And the only thing that it requires is for you to put the parameters in, like X amount of when, when it should take it out. What should it take out and what should be on the receipt? And it just auto takes out every month. It's fantastic. Uh, I also have it set up so that um, I have some clients that want to have the invoice in hand. And then within the at the 30 day mark, because I have a 30 day uh, return or net pay. So on the 30 days is when I manually uh, do the transaction. So I do the ACH uh, manually or on the yeah, 30th I think you just have to press a
1: button,
0: right? Yeah, I just have yeah. to press a button, so it's it works yeah. for me. I yeah. I like that too, and for uh, a good portion of my clients, they prefer it because then they know what day to expect that to happen. Because it's there are some clients that are hourly, and so they know what they're going to be getting charged. They just you know, I just ACH them on the thirtieth day. So, um, and then also I have some clients that forget to pay me. And so I'll let them know a week ahead of time. Hey, you haven't paid me yet. Do you want me to just run this? Uh, so they'll either come back with a, Oh yeah, I forgot here. let me it. Yeah. Or yeah, go ahead and run it. You know, I'll, I'll get that as well. That makes sense. Oh, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, you bring up a good point is like, you know, if you do stuff where you have auto ACH,
0: mm-hmm. you want
1: to, you know, you want to respect, you wanna respect your client, right? Don't don't make a mess of it, right? Yeah. If you're if you have the power to do auto ACH, don't make a mess of it and then lose the trust of your client because yeah. you're, you know, doing it wrong or you're doing it inconsistently and you're just completely disrespecting their cash flow. Like don't do that and lose the faith of your, your customer base there. So mm-hmm. um, like, you know, we, even though we had auto ACH, you know, I checked that thing religiously once a month because I certainly don't want to, you know, have to go apologize to a client because I auto ACH the wrong amount or something right, happened right. along those lines that, you know, that kind of showed like um, issues of our own process and the integrity of what we're doing. So if, if you're going to go that route, then certainly, you know, lay down the process and respect it and, and do a good job so you don't lose the faith of your mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And also uh, another point, I have also a couple of other clients that will approve an invoice, but I still don't make the payment or run the payment until the 30th day because then it keeps me on a schedule and it has them knowing that. When that money is actually going to come out, as opposed to it being on the tenth of one week month and the or the second of another month, you know, it's just it's coming out in this willingly yeah. dates. It's coming out on the thirtieth day every single time. Um. So yeah. Um. Yeah. The best the best recommendation that I can give. No, I agree with you there. Yeah. Well, you know, and it it helps with their cash flow, but it also helps with your own cash flow. Um, I think that you should seek out your local county small business support program. Like we have the SB, um, small business development center, SBDC. Yes. Um, SBDC. Yeah, the SBDC. Um, There's often great help out there by localities to support small businesses. And there's free advice to help you learn more about best practices for accounts receivable, along with other great business building programs your local government wants small business to succeed to feed the local economy. So there's likely some type of program to support you and guide you as you build your business. So like we had the SBDC and we had the uh, we had another one too that I cannot remember the name of, but um, the county that I, that we're in has a lot of great small business assistance, uh, support, uh, guidance, uh, programs that are either free or very low cost. Uh, the second recommendation I have is an ebook called Accounts Receivable Management Best Practices by John G. Salick. He is the national leader of the receivable cycle management practice of Parson Consulting, which is a large financial consulting firm with offices throughout the U.S. and United Kingdom. Uh, the ebook is really short, uh, very precise, and it's more about um, it is about best practices, but it really focuses on processes, that which is something that I really like because I think sometimes the problem is is that a process isn't isn't there or a system isn't there, and that's where the breakdown generally happens. Please join us for our next episode where we will discuss government contracting. What are the steps for a new business, a transitioning business, and what all those initialisms mean? Please show us your support by following us on your preferred podcast platform, social media and YouTube. We'd love for you to also share our episodes. All of our links are posted below. Until next time, mind your business behind your small business.